Welcome to the Frau Vies podcast, where we have conversations with Black women in tech from around the world and share their inspirational stories. I'm Naya Moss, your host and CEO of the Frau Vies community. At Frau Vies, our mission is to provide a community and means of support for Black women in tech. Whether you have worked in tech for 30 years or 10 years, a Black woman or an ally, this podcast is truthful, positive, unapologetic, and made just for you. Shoyo, thank you so much for coming on the Frau Beast podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. You are one of the first members to join, so this is like super special oh, and wow. nice. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think everyone on this call was like one of the, the first few members to join, so I really appreciate all you guys. This is a special episode because this is the first time we're trying something new. We have some of the members join. We have Jenaba and, and Taylor, and they're going to be sitting in. So, Shoyo, please tell everyone about yourself. Yeah. So, my name's Shoyo Awoshko Lumo. I'm a software engineer in New York City, working as a full stack developer. Outside of work, I'm also like a freelance UX UI designer. I co run a blog called Mac Scientists, and I also run a newsletter called Society by Tech. Nice. I actually didn't realize you were doing UX and UI. How did you get into that? So I think like through working, I realized I really liked design and like was really interested in kind of the science behind it. Because I feel like one thing I will say about me is like, I like to know why about things and I like to like learn more about things under the hood. So I somehow stumbled upon some random Facebook ad. They're definitely listening and watching. <laughs> um, and I was talking about this program called Block, which is kind of like a boot camp, I guess, now that I think about it. I didn't really know what boot camps were until like I started like getting more involved in like the tech Twitter sphere. But yeah, so it's like basically self-paced online like UX design course. And I just kind of went through it. And one thing I think I realized in terms of doing it freelance versus like being a product designer is that I felt like with freelance work, you get to have a little bit more creativity because from what I've seen, like in like where I used to work before, it was just very like all much the same. And you don't, and, like I wanted to be able to kind of be creative and like look at different projects and different challenges and try to add my own twist to it. But yeah, it's not something I advertise fully. I'm trying to do better at doing that. But yeah, I do do that. Yeah, nice. Okay, so I actually should back up a little bit. How did you even get started in tech in the first place? Oh, yeah. So I think ever since I was little, I was always the the kid that was, like, always trying to understand, like, how tech worked. And, like, even though tech back when I was a child was, like, very, like, basic. But I would be the type to, like, look through my parents' cell phones and try to understand, like, how the different settings worked. And I really didn't realize that was really engineering until it became time to apply to colleges. And I was like, oh, like, this makes sense. I originally wanted to be a doctor. My parents are Nigerian, so, like, being a doctor is, like, unusual. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I kind of realized 
realized that like engineering is more so what I wanted to do. So I went to school, I went to the University of Pittsburgh and I studied computer engineering and I went in knowing I wanted to study computer engineering. And then I did like toy with a couple different other ones, but I realized that I just wanted to apply like computer engineering or computer science principles to like different applications. So I kind of just decided that I just wanted to study computer engineering and then I graduated, and then I landed my first job at Goldman Sachs as a software engineer. So I did see that on your LinkedIn, and, like, I was mind blown. Okay, so, like, how did that happen? Like, did you have school counselors that were there by your side and guiding you, or were you just, like, awesome and just applied once to Goldman Sachs and got it? <laughs> it's a mix of things. Okay. So I was really involved in NSBE, which is the National Society of Black Engineers. And they have this big national conference in March. And so I think my sophomore year, I had gone to talk to them just to learn more. I had already had an internship for the summer, but I was just curious to see like what they did and wanted to learn more about it and like what engineers do at Goldman Sachs. And then I actually ended up getting an interview at that time. And then I didn't get the offer, which was fine. I, it was fine because I had another one anyway. But then in the middle of my sophomore year summer, there was like they sent some email about this like accelerated process where it's kind of like a webinar series where you learn about the different divisions at Goldman Sachs and you after that you get an email to like apply online and like there's like a code you use to say like oh this is what like this is how I found out about it or whatever and then it wasn't really that accelerated because I think I applied probably like in August and I didn't find out that I got the offer for an internship until January and I did it's it's interesting because I did all of my interviews over the phone because I was actually studying abroad in England and they didn't want to fly me from England to New York <laughs> to interview so they just did everything on the phone so that was kind of different and then it was like a weird spin where like my application was on hold and I, I really don't know. But I found out in January, I think like probably around when I just started school, like the spring semester that I had gotten the internship. And so that summer I was interning at Goldman Sachs in New York City. And from there, I did well enough to where my manager was like, oh, we want you to come back full time. And so that's kind of how that translated that is pretty cool i i also didn't know that you lived in, in england so how long did you study um, uh, abroad i was there for four months i think yeah i was there for four months so the whole time you were there and you were studying you were interviewing for goldman sachs and i guess that process was that was pretty long right it seems yeah it was really long i mean it wasn't it wasn't like they were doing multiple interviews. So was, I did like the initial screening and then a week later they were supposed to schedule like super days. But because I wasn't in the United States, I couldn't fly to that area. So they did my super days on the phone. So I was talking to, I think, four people at two different times. And then from there, they were like, okay, we're putting your application on hold, which I didn't really know what that meant at the time but then my application also kept resurfacing again because they were also asking me to do the same stuff that I had done and then and I said I already did this so it was really weird and so I don't know what happened but like somehow magically they were like oh we want to give you an offer and I was like oh wow like this is so cool 
Wow. Kind of seems like you went through the like ringer a little bit, but like in the end, I mean, you got an offer, you made it in. And I actually used to go to for Scholars, which is like a boot camp for IT. And, and they have, well, now IT coding, they have like a vast majority of classes now. And they have a partnership, I believe, with Goldman Sachs. And I know like one of the things that they're known for is like hiring candidates that are diverse and, and having leaders that are diverse. So you must have worked with other black, brown people, people of color in the office. So it's interesting because I think now there is a bigger push for diversity, like a bigger push for hiring a diverse set of people. But when I joined, actually, we joined as like an analyst class. So it's like 400 people globally, engineering analysts. We do training together and then we go back to our respective regions. And of the 400 people, it was two of us were the only black women in New York, the 400 people that they had hired for engineering specifically. Yeah, <laughs> it was really crazy to think about it. Like I didn't really think about it that much until I was like hanging out with my guy friends and we were getting lunch. And then they were like, where are all of our girlfriends? And I was like, it's me. It's just me. I'm your only girlfriend here. <laughs> Wait, okay. Is it possible that like there are other people of color, but they're in different departments and not necessarily the, the department that you were in? Yeah. That- well, yes and no. So I think generally like across the engineering organization, there are a lot of black people. I wouldn't say, I would, I say a lot, like very relatively, like it's not like you're the only one, but like okay. we're still a very small percentage from the rest of the organization. But specifically in engineering, I think there's even less. And then specifically engineers who are also software engineers, like are coding. It's a very smaller population. But like after my year, they got better. So like they started hiring like more black women engineers. And I think even the year after they started doing more. So I think they're they're trying. So you got this job at Goldman Sachs directly after college, which means that this was most likely your first job as a software engineer. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, So what challenges did you go through? Okay, so when I actually joined Goldman Sachs, so I interned on this team that was super exciting, super fun, had like a really good relationship with my manager who kind of like saw the technical skill sets that I had, but also saw like my ability to like communicate and explain things to other people who aren't necessarily as technical. And so when I left my internship that summer, we talked a lot about like what a role, like what my role would actually look like if I were to be there full time and kind of how to blend those things. So a big reason why I wanted to come back was because I kind of, one, I really didn't know where, where I really wanted to work. And then two, it was also because I felt like I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew I had a good manager and we had like a good relationship. But a lot can change in a year. (laughs) So when I came back, the team was like completely different. And there wasn't really a lot of work on my team that I was given. And I wasn't really solving anything like technically challenging. I actually felt more of like a glorified administrative assistant because it was just a lot of like, random like answering calls from people like asking for like support related things which like I understand the importance of it but it's also kind of like I didn't go to school for four years to study engineering to kind of be doing this so that was like a really big challenging moment because I definitely felt really unhappy about my career and like 
what it could be. So I really had to like push through and really network and get out of my comfort zone and just like meet people across the firm to kind of see what opportunities were available. And so that was kind of like the first big challenge of like navigating, like not being on a team where you felt like you were really like learning and growing. And then that led me to like the team that I was on, which was kind of like what I would think to be doing, working for a finance company as a software engineer. And so that was a really good experience. It was really good to learn. And then I learned so much, but then it also kind of like a biggest challenge is like, like no one's going to care more about your career more than you. Like you may have sponsors who are also rooting for you as well, but like no one should care more about your career than you do. And I think dealing with the fact that like, no matter how hard you may think you're working, there's still going to be people that have biases against you or underestimate your capabilities just because of how you look. And they may not intentionally do it, but it still is what it is at the end of the day. And so I think a lot of the bigger challenges is kind of like, you can work so hard and still feel like, you're not getting to where you want to be and kind of navigating what do you do in order to be able to get to that point, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, um, it does. I think I've talked about this in some other like previous podcasts. Like, I actually started out myself in corporate as well. Like, I started my own company. My first like real job working for someone else was on Wall Street. And then from Wall Street, I like I kind of hopped around to different large banks doing like contract full time work. And I felt the same exact way. Like it was kind of like stagnant. I was just a robot kind of doing a job and not really learning. And, you know, you know, everyone was telling me, yeah, if you want to be a leader here, it's going to take you five to ten years. I was not having that because I knew what I wanted my path to be. So I think this is perhaps something common in banking and large corporations where you kind of feel you're you're not really using your skills that you went to school for, that you went to boot camp for. And you're just kind of like a number out of, you know, team of like 400. You are starting a new path, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And you, you are starting a new path at where again? MailChimp. Yay, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm super excited. Actually, yeah, for tomorrow. Tomorrow's oh, tomorrow. Yeah. Wait, today's <laughs> Sunday, right? Yes. Well, tomorrow. Like, when you told me, I was I was so excited. I know there, I think, uh, Samantha, she's part of the community. She works there. Mm-hmm. There's someone else that, that, I'm, that I'm forgetting. But I keep hearing so many great things about MailChimp. But yeah, I keep hearing that like it's such a nice, like safe space for people of color and that it's really inclusive and and diverse. And, you know, and I'm I'm hearing that like they are the model for what startups should be along with like Etsy and many other companies. So, okay, please tell us like, how did you get this role and how did this all, like what steps did you take to get a job at MailChimp? Yeah, so... I realized, I feel like my birthday was in February and I feel like once it hit my birthday, like I just hit like this new reality of life where I was like, I need to find a new job. And I kind of was just kind of thinking like, I don't see myself in this exact same seat 
by 2020. And if I'm still here in 2020, then I failed myself and I'm just wasting my own time and I need to do something about it. So that kind of like set me along my job search and like trying to figure out like what I wanted and what I wanted to do. So I'm in this organization called Subcolor, which is an organization for black software engineers. And they put us into different groups and we meet once a month and they're kind of like your accountability groups to share your goals, your frustrations and kind of have group people that can help you with that. And so one of the members of my squad actually referred me to MailChimp. So I sent her my resume and she referred me and then the rest is history basically. And I interviewed and I got the offer and yeah. That is really cool. I haven't heard of uh, Deaf Caller until recently. Can you maybe like tell us more about them? Like are they community? Are they a society? Yeah, so they're a professional non-profit organization it started in san francisco with this guy named backing day and he and i think 12 people he just got tired of just only seeing people that look like him in rooms and in conversations so he started it in california with i think about 12 people and they just would meet regularly and then it kind of expanded into four cities now so they're in San Francisco, Seattle, Atlanta, and New York. And Atlanta and Seattle are the newest places. It's been in New York for about three years now. But I've only been involved in Dev Color this year. And so the person that you mentioned gave you the recommendation. They know your work. They've known you for quite some time. So it was just kind of very easy to say, hey, like she, you know, has great work ethics. Like what exactly did that look like? Yeah, I mean, so I kind of just reached out to my squad members and I was kind of just like, I I want a new job. (laughs) And like a lot of them were actually just willing to say, oh, I can refer you to my company. And they were willing to like send me the referral links and all of that other good stuff, which was really great because at that point, we hadn't really known each other for that long. But the fact that they were willing to kind of trust the fact that like, I would be a good person to like, refer because you can't refer everyone (laughs) at all. So it was really great. And um, it kind of really helped in addition to like Dev Color being a meeting like meeting face to face, they also have a Slack channel. So in that Slack channel, or they have like another sub channel called the job board. So people will also post like different job links and stuff like that. So it was really cool to kind of see what people were doing or like what other opportunities were out there and like what cool stuff people are working on. Yeah. Nice. Cool. And, and like, like what exactly was the, the, the process? Like once you started to interview with MailChimp? Yeah. So I met with, HR first once I had applied and then my friend referred me and then HR reached out to me. So I met with her and she was just kind of taking me through how the hiring process works and kind of like what the company's like and the culture and things like that. And already it just sounded really awesome. Like it just, everyone just, she just sounded like really happy. And I get that it's HR's job to like sell you the company, I guess. But like, I don't know, it just seemed really genuine coming from her. And um, from there, I set up, they scheduled an interview with my, which who would have been my hiring manager, who is my hiring manager now. And so we met for an hour and just kind of discussed like the work that I've been doing and what I'm looking to do and what I want to do and kind of just seeing if we're in alignment. And they asked a lot about like 
kind of how you be a mentor to other people and how you work on distributed teams because they're headquartered in Atlanta, but they have an office in New York and in California. So you have to be able to kind of like work on that, like work with that. And then from there, they schedule your onsite. And so it's one hour of behavioral. There's one hour of like design systems questions. So they ask you something like, how would you build like this type of application or whatever? And you kind of like take through, go through all the steps from like front end to back end services and things like that. And then the last one is like a choose your own adventure. So you can either do like a pair programming live or you can do a coding assessment and like submit it in and then they like review it with you. Or you can submit like an open source code project that you've worked on. Yeah, oh, so it cool. might have changed since I interviewed, but that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, cool. So there was like, there was no like whiteboard interviewing at all. It was, it was more of like really trying to get an understanding of like what your skill set was and like what are your uh, abilities and previous projects that you worked on? Yeah, Is that I, correct? kind of. I mean, the design systems was pretty whiteboardy. Like it wasn't algorithms, but you, I definitely like wrote out, well, I'm a visual person. So I okay. kind of wrote out like what, how all the services would work and kind of what would be needed, like on the front end and like in the middle layer and then like the database side and things like that. Okay, cool. Nice. Wow, you're like really doing a lot. You came on the podcast today. You just got back from a flight. You're starting MailChimp tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Thanks. This is all really cool. Thanks. So I want to talk a little bit more about Mac Scientist. Can you tell us a little bit more um, about that? I was like super surprised. So it's you and you have two co-founders correct? No, there's actually four of us. Oh, four. Um, four yeah, okay. there's four of us total. And Max Scientist is basically like a platform, a brand. Basically, our goal is to uplift women of color and change the face of STEM. And we basically just write about our lives, what our life and career is like working as black women in STEM. We all are, have different facets. So I'm the engineer, the software engineer, and then we have the chemist, which is Devin, who she is currently getting her PhD right now in analytical chemistry. And then we have Courtney, who's the analyst, and she works for the Department of Education. And then we have Carrie, who is a consult, a techn technology consultant, and she works for Avangard, which is like a subset of Accenture. And so we kind of all provide our different perspectives on what it is like from our different angles. And we discuss different topics from like how to present or kind of how to like take feedback and things like that in hopes of kind of just shedding more light and more information. Nice. And so how did you guys all get together? How, like, how do you know each other and how did you get started? So Devin is kind of the focal point of it. So her, Courtney and Carrie, they were friends from high school and I went to college with Devin, both went to the University of Pittsburgh. So she, I think she had this idea and she asked them if they wanted to do it. And then she asked me if I wanted to do it as well. And that's kind of how we all formed together. Nice. That's, that's pretty cool. So like, because I, I follow, I read all of your, your articles, Aww, your, your Instagram. Yeah, of, of course. <laughs> I, I thought I featured one of your, your articles. I think it was about, it was about color. Oh, 
Oh yeah, I, I just wrote that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe I featured that in in the last newsletter. I try to, you know, every newsletter like feature like anything that a black woman created, I try to always like feature in the uh, in the newsletter, whether it's like tech or, or, or not. But that was a good one. It's Macademics color theory. It's cool. It's like how do you like come up with the like ideas to Right. Because I, I honestly, I'm a, I used to write and I find it so hard when it comes to tech, it's to kind of like get it out and get it right. Like what's your process? So (laughs) full transparency, a lot of the topics that I've come up with for like the group to write have come from me deep conditioning my hair in the shower. Wait, Um, (laughs) it's just like, I think when you're not thinking about it, just like, that's when everything just flows. Like literally I'll like come, like I'll be like washing. I just feel, I have, I have a lot of hair. So I have a lot of time in the shower to (laughs) think about things. And a lot of times I like come out and I'm like, oh my gosh, we should write about this. And I think everyone else kind of provides their own topics. And sometimes we try to align to like what's going on. So like right now, like people are going back to school, people are looking for jobs. We'll have a couple more blog posts kind of featuring around that. We've also done some about like when it was Hispanic Heritage Month, we featured like a Hispanic or Latina woman on our page. We've done Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we each, that was kind of fun because we each tackled breast cancer topic from each of our different like backgrounds. So I kind of talked about the engine, like what engineers are doing and working on in terms of like curing breast cancer. And I think Devin wrote about the science of how it forms and stuff like that. So a lot of it is really just our own like ideas based on like what we experience in our day-to-day life. And for me, it's just whatever I think about when I'm in the shop. That is so funny. So whatever like magic conditioner you're using has some special powers. It must. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I have to say what, um, when I saw your hair earlier, I was like, it looks very nice and shiny. And I wanted to ask you, what were you using? Um, maybe, maybe you can share that later. If you don't mind sharing your, your, your magic conditioner (laughs) with all of us. Yeah, I for sure will. (laughs) Okay, cool. So where do you see back scientists heading in the future? I would love for Mac scientists to kind of help reach as many people as possible. So doing, we've done workshops at the Nesby conferences, and I think we've done a couple other different workshops here and there. So to be able to do more workshops to reach more people and help more people, we do want to start kind of figuring out ways of like monetizing a lot of our content because we've been doing this for about two and a half years now, which is a lot of of content, a lot of information there. So we're just looking and thinking of different ideas of how to like expand and grow and really like reach as many people as possible. I think one of the challenges is trying to reach kids because a lot of times like when you look at demographic like you look at demographics or analytics of stuff it's really like the 18 to like 35 demographic it's really hard to get kids to like do stuff I guess and I think a lot a lot of times a lot of our stuff almost always resonates with people who are in like college age and things like that which is fine but trying to tap into that kid demographic would be kind of really cool to do as well 
Yeah, that nice. answers your question. It, it, it definitely does. And I, I've actually noticed on Instagram, I don't know why I get all these ads. I mean, like, I know they're always listening. Like, they should listen when I say I, I need, like, I don't know, a new bag or something. But for some reason, I get, like, ads of these kids' toys where it's STEM and, like, they can, you know, do things related to engineering, like, together, like, motor whatever like just like little packets or like little toys to kind of get them like interested in in stem so i'm starting to see more and more of these companies there's actually a guy i worked with on a project um him and his wife started this company i think it's cycle savers and they have some like really cool kits where kids can like kind of put together play-doh and like tap it and like they'll make a sound so stuff like that is like really cool so i think there's like definitely you know some kind of market or like space for you guys to to expand there so cool and you also have something else going on a great newsletter called uh, society and tech wait society society by tech by tech okay yeah all right the x is by okay thank yeah. you <laughs> Nice. So how did you get started on that newsletter? So I had always really been interested in, I guess, backing up. My senior year, I took this class called Technology and Social Change. And it really just went through, like, all the different ways in which, like, technology advancements have, like, changed society. And, like, one of the biggest things that I can remember is we were, they were, we had this unit I don't know what it's called in college anymore, but we're talking about like cochlear implants and how, while it does help those who are hearing impaired, being able to hear better, it's also like making an influx into the deaf community and kind of like the negative implications of that as well. And at the end of it, we had to write this paper and I wrote about like black Twitter and like kind of how like it's influenced like different markets, it's influenced like the news and things like that. And I was just really fun and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I did consider like going to school for something in that space, but I don't want to go back to school ever. So that wasn't going to happen. And, um, but then I think I was like, one day I was like, Oh, like, I could write and like I could write about this. Like I could do the research and like write about it. And I feel like if I find it interesting, then maybe other people might find it interesting too. And so that's kind of how the idea came to be. Nice. And so, like, how do you find the different topics to talk about? So, um, I, I I think like before the recording started, we were talking about that we're both in the in the same community, woman make and. But there's also a, a Telegram group outside of that. And I, what is it called? I think it's called Newsletter Geeks. Oh, yeah. Newsletter Geeks. Yeah. yeah the, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm always forgetting. I should, I'm, I'm so bad with names. Yeah. Newsletter Geeks. And we're all talking about, like, you know, we're, we're all talking about how to monetize, how to get sponsorship, like what to do, you know, how to curate. And, and so that's a really nice, cool group because I, I think it's definitely helping us all to build our newsletters and become better. So how do you like curate for your newsletter? How do you find these topics? How do you choose what to include? Yeah, so a lot of it comes from what I see on Twitter and also like what I've listened to in podcasts. So that kind of sets like this a bit like I have like a running list of like just different topics to kind of write about now or in the future so I essentially pick some one of the topics from the list or if something like was like I want to talk about it now because I've just seen so many different like 
media content that kind of tailors to this. And so I'll write about it. I'll start there. And then I begin to like do my research and I kind of want to tackle it from different angles. So like, I feel like even though like tech is good, like there's reasons why like it's good that technology is advancing. And I want to always make sure that I highlight in the ways that it is good and like how it does work. And, but at the same time with that, there's also implications of it and like making sure that people are aware of those implications. So kind of finding content that kind of shows like the good aspects of it, but also shows like, but wait, like think about it a little more. So in like my last newsletter, I wrote about like internet identity and like how like, signing into Facebook or signing in with Google, how that kind of links a lot of the different parts of your online presence. And while some of that is good when you have apps like Calendly, who like easily puts like an event on your calendar without you having to think about it, it's also kind of like, well, if a security threat happens or like if someone gets all of your information from one account, how much information will they get about all of the other things that you're a part of? And data is just so powerful. And I mean, it's people are selling our data to different places and kind of what that means and like how you can control kind of what gets shared and what's not, even though like having these like streamlined ways of like signing in are also very beneficial. So kind of tackling it from these angles and kind of just leaving it being like, wow, I never thought about it like that. Here are my thoughts on that. And yeah, just writing it from that perspective. Nice. So this must mean that you're like always keeping up to date on what's the latest tech trends. So are there any trends lately, whether it's within software engineering or just like everyday life that you either like or dislike? I think, I mean, AI, like biases against like with AI is pretty big one, especially when it comes to like black people or like dark skinned people specifically, because they're not making it for us. Like they're not thinking about us when they make those kinds of things. And that's such a very like challenging Thing to wrap your head around because I was I was at this conference and one of the guys that spoke was saying that like in order for you to get a piece of the table like you have to put yourself there in order to kind of change that narrative but at the same time there's like a lot of gatekeeping within technology that prevents people from actually getting there and like getting to that level and like while AI can do some pretty cool stuff it's also kind of like are you making sure that when you're building these new things that you're looking at all of these problems because I think people look at like diversity and as like an afterthought or something to kind of like fix more when it should really be the forefront and if you have people in the room that see it as the problem that you're actually testing it on and like you're really doing like stress testing to make sure that you're tackling all of these cases before you ship out a product then you're making it better but a lot of times people aren't doing that and I find that like as these like AR VR like those types of technologies like get better and like get more pronounced that like it's just furthering the accessibility of marginalized groups to be able to use that product. Yeah, you know, it's it, so it's kind of funny that you said this because this week I'm prepping for a pitch competition for my other company. And I, I, I realized that they're, so one of my competition 
he's not, I mean, the company is not really my competition, but they're kind of doing the same thing. And it, it can be easily said that, you know, what they're doing is very similar to me, but you know, so in like all of this, I'm like studying this company and trying to be prepared for questions that might come at me. And the, the founder had mentioned how he he's building his company to be very diverse. And he's so happy that, that, they have a, a diverse uh, leadership team that's building the software because it's going to make the software more diverse. And, and, and so like he's talking, I'm like, wow, you know what? Like, this is really cool. Like I'm actually really glad he's doing this. I look on his website and the leadership team is like, there's like not one brown or black person. And I was like, I was like, why are we using this word diverse? And why are we saying these, but like, like to me, I think that now like diversity has, has become a like total buzzword that people are just using just to like sound like they're actually doing it. And so, yeah, I went on the website and I was like, wow, like he totally just said like, yeah, we have, <laughs> we have a team that's diverse because like I, I think this is like an issue that people are, are talking about, about how like the people that are building AI and AI software are not of diverse backgrounds. And this has an impact on, on the people like us using it. So it was just like, it was just so, so funny. So I, I don't know, maybe we need more of us that are learning the skill set. And then on the other end, we need more companies that will, you know, start hiring folks to do AI jobs. So yeah. Okay, cool. Are there any other trends that you like or, or dislike? I think the notion of like, like how things go viral or like things that get the most views, even though they're like not necessarily correct. So like, I remember, what was it? The woman who she did something with space. Like she was able to, oh, she was able to print an image of like the black hole. Oh, yeah. Something yes. like that. Mm-hmm. And this video that was like at the top of YouTube was basically someone discrediting her work, even though like that video was like completely false. But because so many people went to watch it, YouTube thought of like, oh, this is like the most relevant topic related to like someone's work you know what I mean like discrediting them and it's when you have things like that where it's like just wrong information that just gets spewed and like just kind of takes over and no one's really there to like fact check and like make sure that like not only are you posting the most relevant content but it's also like correct it's kind of one of those things that like really bother me because it could be very harmful and damaging to someone's character without like and people don't even give it a second thought they're just doing it to just be a troll basically yeah so my next question to you so you've been in tech for about and kind of like like pivoting a bit you've been in tech for about three four years yeah maybe a little bit more like yeah like three years three years yeah okay so you've definitely come a long way from college to going abroad and studying to Goldman Sachs to MailChimp, what advice do you have for black women in tech that want to follow down your path? And yeah. I think the first thing is like, you can do it. Like, I know it's like very simple. It's like easier said than done. But I think one of the ways I was able to be able to like do all the things that I wanted to do was kind of like get over 
my own imposter syndrome because I feel like once you conquer that, you start to realize that like there's a lot of things that you can just do and you don't necessarily have to like there's nothing stopping you and like you're good enough to be able to do it. And there's probably a lot of stuff that you've thought about that no one else is doing and you can provide that take on it, which is really cool. And I think the second thing is like spend less time thinking about how you're going to do it and just do it. And then maybe go back and like create a more formalized schedule of how you're going to go about tackling it in the future. Because I feel like a lot of what I do, I'm just like, I'm just going. Like I'm just going from here to there, going from here to there, going from here to there. And like now I'm taking a step back and being like, let me organize this a little bit better. Let me be more intentional with how I spend my time. But when you just do it, you're actually like able to put stuff out there. You're getting that feedback. You're able to see if it's something that you really like doing versus if it's something that you don't really want to do. And you can like just, just see, like you just see. But if you spend more time thinking and scheduling and planning, you're not going to get it done. <laughs> you're just going to spend more time thinking and scheduling and you're always going to make excuses about like how you're going to do it. I think also like it's okay to be multi-passionate about different things. I don't think that you have to be this one person who's only interested in this one specific aspect, especially in technology because there's so many different facets of it. And I think that tap being able to tap into all of your different interests and passions like even if they don't necessarily like connect right now they they could connect in the future and like I think when I think about what I want to be like in my like future long-term like career professional I would love for it to be in a role where it can combine my passion for like giving back to the communities and like diversity and inclusion as well as like the humanitarian and like humanistic aspect to technology as well as being a software engineer and like design and things like that in some way and like I'm hoping at one point it all connects but like I think having those multi-passions is something that you don't have to take like you don't have to stop doing that now. Yeah, yeah. And we had a, a message from uh, from Geneva. She said, spending less time thinking and more time doing is, is key. And yeah, it's it's so true when you said that. I was like, oh, she's talking to me right now. Because I, I, I'm, I'll admit, I'm definitely having this, this, this problem. Like, I think so many of us, it's so easy to get so caught up. And like, I, w- I was reading an article today, I think someone posted on Twitter, how like black women, like we feel this need to wear an S on our chest all the time and like be superwoman and like do everything. And like, you know, and we can sometimes just get too wrapped up in, in the planning and this and then that and not, and not actually doing. So, yeah, I, I, I think that definitely really great advice. Do you have anything else that you want to share with us? Anything else that's like coming up? any resources to to share with everyone nothing specifically i mean definitely subscribe to mac scientists and society by tech definitely more stuff coming more blog posts more newsletters to come out so yeah i mean you can also follow me on twitter at at ademu shoya which is a-d-e-m-u-s-o-y-o and you can always answer i'll answer any questions that you may have Hey, cool. Shoyo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks to Taylor and Jennifer for sitting in. This is really great. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Subscribe and share it with the world. Stories of Black Women in Tech just isn't for Black Women in Tech. It's for the world to hear and see how strong human beings we are.
Do you know of any black women in tech who want to tell their stories? Tell them to write in to Naya at Frau V's. That is N-A-Y-A at F-R-A-U-V-I-S dot com. Don't forget to subscribe and share.